Yo, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the 8020 series. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm Daniel. And on this series, we break down the 20 factor the motivation that drives a person to do what they love to do. All right, everybody. Today, we have a special guest. This man grew up homeless graduated from UCI, got into Chapman Law, graduated from there, but then almost died and lost everything to special guest Michael Romero. (laughs) Thank you, Michael, for uh, coming through and joining us today. Uh, We really appreciate it, and we're excited that you're willing to share your story with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, like Daniel was saying, first place you wanted to start. Oh, yeah, so the first place we want to start is obviously uh, family, you know, because when we do interview a lot of people, we realize, you know, the foundation really starts from there. Yeah. And so if you just want to begin with that. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I'm going to over explain here, but. No, it, this, it's, we're yeah. all here for you. <laughs> so take your time, whatever you want to talk okay. about. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it isn't too deep and dramatic. So I, I have a mom and two older sisters. I'm the only boy. My mom was a single mother raising us. Um, yeah. My dad's pretty much been out of the picture since I was a little kid. Like, I don't really remember him much. I think up until I was maybe six years old, he was in and out. But um, other than that, it's been most. It's been just me, my mom, and my two sisters, and I'm the youngest one uh, by five years. So yeah. You know. Thanks. Oh wait, so by five years, how old are your other two sisters? Yeah. So my my eldest sister is five years older than me, and then my next one is two years older than me. So, gotcha. Yeah. So all your life, basically, father out of the picture, mom, two sisters. Would you say like your family plays a huge role on your decisions and how? things have come out to today or yeah I mean I think you I don't think you realize that until you look back on it later like how much they actually drive you because yeah. for me like I, I was the only boy so when I'm a kid I'm like this sucks you know like I'm the only guy all the time and now I'm just trying to buy all these girls but you know uh my dad was a terrible person so uh growing up with you know him like I don't know do I go into an hour but sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so like my dad was a drug addict you know like full-on like everything you can think of right in and out of jail he was like abusive like my whole like my only memories of him was when he would like beat my mom and i would be there as a kid and then there'd be like cops that would come there would be child protective services they would just be yelling our apartments being kicked out of over and over and that was my only memory of my of my dad and then uh you know every now and then he would trickle in again mess it up and then leave again so yeah, and then that's I know it's just me, my mom, and sisters from like all of my childhood until now. So that's all I really knew at the time. Jeez, that's that's insane. Like, the, can I ask? Like, does your dad kind of trickle into your life right now at this point? Or? No, no, not not at all. Uh, I've that's crazy. yeah, not I haven't spoken or heard from him since I was a kid. Yeah, and I like it that way. <laughs> Dang, hey, more power yeah. to you, man. I'm <laughs> glad like you're able to figure that dynamic out. Like I've always heard of stories where. Um, so like in a, in a sense, like family is the factor that kind of brings a person down and some people don't get past that and then they become like a product of that environment and it, it just goes south for them. So to hear that you are where you're at now is absolutely amazing, man. Can yeah. I ask like, what, what does your mom do and what do your two sisters do right now? Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, uh, she was a medical examiner. Like she did life insurance for like, she was like a nurse. So then she mm-hmm. would do examine people. 
but she hasn't worked in a few years. And then uh, one of my sisters teaches special education at an elementary school, nice. and then works at Wells Fargo now. But she graduated in healthcare admin, so she's trying to find a job in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but they're doing well now. Yeah, they're doing great now. So it's really good. Gotcha. Let's see it from cool, there. Cool. And uh, you know, shout out to mom for raising three amazing and super successful children. Seriously. And I kind of want to hone in on that because there was a blog that Chapman released recently, and uh, in that article. You said as you were growing up, you know, you had to face additional uh, tribulations and trials. And there's a quote here. And you said that you had to brush your teeth and wash your hair in public restrooms. You did homework under parking lot streetlights. You recycled bottles to, you know, buy school supplies. And, you know, you called the backseat of a van your bedroom while lying to everybody to convince them that your life was normal. Can you kind of dive a little bit more into that? Yeah, yeah. So basically third grade is when like the last time I really saw my dad ever again mm-hmm. and uh, my mom was a nurse at the time she worked at Long Beach Memorial Hospital um, and then from or she was something there so, so some position at Long Beach Memorial Hospital but you know with my dad in and out like my mom had to like take care of me we were going to school at the time so she had to like mm-hmm. pick us up from school but you know my dad wouldn't show up or like they would be fighting all night or he would beat her so she couldn't go to work so eventually my mom lost her job right and then my dad was in and out of jail. So one time he came, and I know we had like we had some money saved, right? We were doing, we were living in a nice apartment, nice, nice home, all before then. And then he took it all, like it was what? just gone, like all everything that we had was just gone. You know, I remember I had like a PlayStation, and that was gone too. Like he wow. just came in, took it all, and then my mom eventually lost her job because it's like, what do you do? Like how is she gonna watch three kids? So yeah, you know, from there it's hard to reset. You know, this was back in I don't know, early two thousands. So we were. You know, from third to eighth grade, we were living in our car mm-hmm. um, most of the time. We had family, you know, but it's hard to always stay with family the whole time, especially when it's four of us. And like my family doesn't have these huge houses either. So, you know, we lived in our van uh, and, and sometimes even smaller cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had our setup, you know, like my, I, slept, I slept in the back seat. My other sister slept in the middle row of our van, mom and sister in the front. And that, that was life. That was, that was all I knew. Holy fuck. That's crazy, man. Like I, I literally can't wrap my head around that to just kind of understand like what that setup is all like, like, you know, when you're going to school, you get homework, like where's the table at? Like, how do no. you, how do you do that? Yeah. So, so basically I had to be pulled out from regular school because, um, we didn't have an address to oh, like to what? put down. Yeah. So I did something called independent study. It's not even mm. like homeschool because homeschooling, the teacher comes to your home. Right, right. You can't do that when you want to have a home, you know? So Holy you do a independent study where it's basically, the, it's accredited, full great program where they give you like these packets of work that are, are, are curriculum. Uh-huh. And then there's no teacher. Well, there's a teacher you go to get tested. So you basically do like a week's worth of homework and assignments teaching yourself. And you have to go to a center and do a test, like a Scantron test every week. And then as you finish a certain amount of packets, you finish the class and you move up from grade. So that was my school for five years. Um, and yeah, so, you know, during that time, um, I would just stay in public libraries. But, you know, even then you had to have a, an address to get a library card to right. use a computer. Yeah. yeah. And then well, when I was in elementary school, it's easy. It's just packets. You know, it's easy work. But then as you start going in the middle school, you have to do like essays and computer. Like we didn't have a laptop or a computer yeah, yeah. doing anything. So I would have to like use public library computers without a library card, try to figure it out. And, you know, I remember one instance is like it was like 30 minute limits for non library yeah. card members. Yeah. Right? You gotta like cycle. Yeah. Back. So I'd have to like save it, redo it again, log back in, go switch computers, save it, redo it again, just to type an essay out. Holy and fuck. 
Yeah, and then, you know, so here's what was the thing. So I'd wake up, you know, we would go to, like, a library, stay there until we can. So I'd be around, like, 5 p.m. And then after 5 to, like, 11 p.m., go to, like, a bookstore, like a Borders or, like, yeah, a yeah. Barnes & Noble. And then after that, you would go to, like, a Starbucks. They're open till 2 a.m. And then that's where I just did work, you know, whatever, what? whatever I could at those places. I mean, yo, I would even go as far as to say, it's like, dude, you have all the odds against you at this point. Like, what... <laughs> what motivated you to like actually do it because i mean being completely honest like if i was in your shoes i would have gave up so easily like it's like the world is against you at this point so how did you like move from store to store library to place and just like find the motivation to do this yeah you know it's not like in the moment i felt super motivated right? i mean it sucked i'm not gonna lie like yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. like when it's i was like yeah life's great we're gonna be fine like i was like this is terrible yeah every single day you know and i was a kid and then, um, you know, for me, like, like my mom and sisters, they were the older ones. So I was like, but for me, I'm Filipino, right? So it's like the culture is like, you're the guy. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell are you expecting to do? I'm like eight years old right now. Like I'm like nine, <laughs> right, 10. Yeah. Like I can't get it. Like I remember I would apply for jobs yeah. at like Jack in the Box. And then like, they're like, you're a kid. We're not going to yeah. hire you. But I was like, oh, well, I don't know. I need a job. I need to make money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so then, you know, it's just you kind of just go through it and you're like, I just have to survive the day, you know, like right. it, it, it was yeah. never, that's why for me, law school, I said it, it was like law school was never, you know, it was a fantasy. It was like, it wasn't a dream or attainable. It wasn't a goal. It was like literally the reality of my whole world and existence had to change. Cause you can't, you can't plan for the future mm-hmm. when you're trying to survive tonight. Right. You can't plan for the future when you're trying to make sure that you're not getting caught by cops sleeping in the parking lot the day before. So, you know, it was just every day trying to survive and just, you know, getting through it somehow. You know, it was just like there are nights where we would go hungry. There's nights when we would, you know, sleep at a relative house. It was nice and peaceful. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, save up for a hotel room for a night, like a birthday, you know. Holy and, fuck, yeah. Yeah, and then you just do it until you start, until I start reaching the age where I can actually, like, plan and understand, like, okay, this is what we actually have to do to get better, to get out of here. So Right, right. And when was that? focal point where you kind of realized what was going on and you were like man this is where I really need to step up you know work hard and try to get my family out of this situation I think it was when I like turned 13 um like you know you're a teenager now yeah but um yeah so you know for me like I like I wasn't the best kid I was like everything's great I was always complaining I thought it sucked you know I didn't want to sleep in the car and like brush my teeth and wear like the same outfit for like two weeks you know especially because like I was a social kid too so I had friends and I was just like like you would meet kids at the library and you're like like I was embarrassed about like my life I would just lie you know like, oh like my mom travels for work or mm-hmm. like oh my, my mom's working right now that's why I'm here so like you know it would suck for me to have to go through that stuff um but you know whenever I would act out like relatives family my mom would be like you know you're you're, tur- you're gonna turn into your dad and for me I was oh. like oh come on like yeah. like yeah. really like that's your like you're the only guy supposed to be the man in the house like don't turn into your dad so that just pissed me off. I was like, I was like yeah. really? But then, you know, eventually I was like, I'm not like him. Like, I, I knew I wasn't like him. Right. And then um, when I was 13, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to live like this no more. Like, I want to, like, I want us to change our life. Right. And then we, at that point, my eldest sister turned 18. So, you know, she could start working more. Um, and then she can go to community college. There's like financial aid from that. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, we need to like be really strategic. Like, we'll have to like start living in like, 
get out of the car, you mm-hmm. know, like like live in a garage, which we did for a while. We lived in a, in a legit garage, mm-hmm. like not 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 a converted, like an, I'm not an actual garage mm-hmm. with like they had their dogs in there, and we would just yeah. like live there for a few months, and then eventually we got like a one bedroom apartment and a two bedroom apartment. As we started like really planning, like okay, my mom's gonna start working a little bit more, my sister will start working a little bit more, mm-hmm. and then that's what we ended up with. Damn, that's incredible, that's, man. Dude, that's, I know. I'm like so shocked. Like, yeah, you would have never thought that. And yeah, I guess that goes to my follow up question is there was, it was also in the article as well. And this is also because I'm friends with you. It seems like you have uh, this mentality where you kind of say everything's going to be fine. You don't really tell people mm-hmm. about it, you act like everything is normal. What's kind of the thought process behind that? Uh, it started out as fear, you know? It started out as that, like, if, if people find out I'm living in the car, like, I'm going to get taken away. Like, like I'm, me and my oh, sisters are going to be taken away from my mom if we find mm-hmm. out we're homeless and poor. And, like, I, I didn't want that, you know? Like, we yeah. wanted to stay together. Because I knew that, like, you know, my mom couldn't work because of what my dad did. Because he would just beat her. Like, like she's not doing well anymore because of that. So like like I didn't blame her. I, I did sometimes, but you know. But like in re- like in the bigger picture, I was like, I don't want to be taken away. So that was like the fear of it. And then it was embarrassment. You know, it was like I don't want people to know. Like I don't want kids to know I'm homeless. I don't right, want right. like classmates or teachers to know like what I came from. Because like I mean like I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I was always good at seeming normal. You know, like, yeah. even even if we were like I didn't have money to eat, like I was good at playing it off. I was good at um, you know making excuses and pretending life was okay. So that, that's where it stemmed from. And then I think when I got to like high school and college, when you met me and, you know, life actually started being okay. You know, like mm-hmm. I started being able to work, like I actually work for myself. And like at that, at that point, even having the minimum wage job, I had more money than my family had for the past eight years of my life, you know, yeah. working mm-hmm. minimum wage. Cause yeah. it was, it was some money. It was money to eat, to do stuff. Um, and at that point, I think that's when my mentality shifted. I was like, you know, I always just compared it to what it was. I was like, you know, like life, everything now is what I dreamed of. I dreamed yeah. of just having a bed to sleep in. I dreamed right. of having like to not worry about where the next meal come from. I'd be able, I dreamed about not having to, you know, worry about gas just to go to a grocery store. Yeah. So then, and then I was like, you know, everything can be fine at this point. Yeah. Guys, I mean, listeners, I, I'm just at a loss for words right now because let me paint you this picture, right? When I met Michael, it's this handsome motherfucker. <laughs> at the gym he's just pulling up and he's just lifting weights always got a smile on like just to help you paint this picture to see what michael looks like always happy feels and looks completely normal like every time i see him i just like get a hug high five like i would have never got this story like if we didn't have this podcast like i'm literally just like looking at him like jaw dropped like dude you never told me any of this like what the actual yeah Fuck, like, i mean it's really recent i mean like yeah. my my wife now tiffany you now she found out last november before we got engaged wow and i've known her high school since high school like she's known Fuck. me during some of this time and yeah. i told her before we got like you need to know everything about me yeah so yeah, that's yeah. when i told her so like, this is like less than a year of me oh ever even God. like speak like i don't even write about this in admissions essays like i, yeah. I keep it to myself right so yeah, yeah, it's crazy, I mean, and that's a good point, Jeremy, because I knew Michael. <laughs> I worked out with this guy, and uh, I never knew about this story, and 
you know, I know Michael has a mantra that he always puts on social media where he says everything will be fine. And as yeah. a friend, you know, we kind of look at that. We laugh and we're just like, oh, yeah, look, yeah, maybe, like, yeah, maybe he's trolling or maybe yeah. he's just saying it. It's like that's cliche. Like yeah. It's Mike. You know, he's just got the good vibes. And now we hear this. Shit, it's like, no, he really means it. Like, yeah. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Like there's a whole deeper story, you know, behind all of that. And so we appreciate you taking the time to open up and share that with us. Yeah, of course. Know. Yeah. But it's definitely not I mean what what blew my mind there's there's a lot more people like that we even know that go through the same thing. Like like when I first shared my story, you know, I I wasn't sure what reaction I would get, right? Like my goal was to like help kids like me. Cuz when I was in that point, like I didn't have anyone to look up to. I didn't know like I I didn't know of a single homeless kid in the world that like quote unquote made it. I was just like Yeah. You know, my it was just a grind to hope to survive and it worked out well for me, but you know, that was my goal when I started talking about my story more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, I had like friends reach out. I had acquaintances reach out. They're like, you know, I went through a very similar thing. Mm-hmm. Like my dad lost his job. My mom got sick. And then they would share these stories that they've never. And just like you guys with me, I was completely shocked. Like I, I would have no idea that you would have gone through. Like I thought you were balling. I thought your life was great. But then there's just so many people out there that go through these things. And I think now with like mental health, you know, it's like. You, you would be so surprised what people keep inside of their own heads. I mean, think about me. I kept inside my head for 25 years. So, yeah, like, there's what? other people out there that do the same thing. I'm like, it's just, there's comfort in some numbers, you know, and yeah. solidarity. Which, yeah. I mean, so going back to the first thing, first of all, congrats on, yeah, on marriage and everything. That's amazing. I wanted to ask, how did your wife respond to that? Because it's almost like you're leading a double life in a sense, per se. And I know, like, at first, like, you kind of grew up with the fear of it, too. So, like, finding the words to tell your wife must have been, like, hard? Yeah. I mean, so so Tiffany was, like, my best friend before. She was, like, my girlfriend and fiancé and wife, right? Yeah. So she knew, like, nuggets of my life. Like, she knew, like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, we used to live in, like, Corona. And then it, it, it wouldn't make sense, you know, but she didn't question. I was like wait, so you went to school in Cerritos, but then like you live in Corona and then like no one's ever been to your house. Like I would just like make up like, oh, you know, we live with my family. Like it was just a complicated lie that Mm -hmm. never really added up. But then, you know, it just kind of makes sense. But then also like, I think from my demeanors, like there's certain things about my character that is like an offspring of my past. Like the way I will treat certain workers at restaurants, the way like my, my respect for people, like, like how I measure someone's character. Like, like for me, like education credentials, like I don't care. Like, you know, someone yeah. could be a doctor and I'd be like, I have no respect for you if you're a bad person, you know, versus someone can be like a server at a restaurant. Not that there's anything bad with that, but I'm talking like just a scale. And if they like say, if they like give me something for free or they're just like nice, like I will have the utmost respect for you, like for life after that, you know? Right, right. And then even just like with the friends I chose. And I think like, or even like my outlook of money, right? Like like for me, like now, like I have, I'm not rich, but I have like more money now. Like I have a steady income and everything, right? So like I will always treat people out. Like, like I will, if someone doesn't have money to eat, like that will never be for a, a reason for me not to go. So like I would always just pay, you know, even with like groups of friends. If like with Tiffany and I, right, like for our friend groups, if someone like can't afford to do what the rest of us are doing, I will just pay for the whole group so that that one person doesn't feel awkward. So that it's not like, oh, well, Michael's paying for just that person. It's like, no, Michael's paying for everyone so that no one feels weird. And it's like those small things about me that like Tiffany didn't really know where it came from. So when we got in, when we were getting engaged, I was like, 
this is why I am who I am. Like, like this is my past. This is my family. This is why you haven't been to my house before. Um, cause I didn't have one when we first met, you know, like I didn't, or even when we first started dating, like this is why my stories are inconsistent. And, you know, I mean, that's why we're married now. Cause she understood. She was like, it explains so much more about you. Like, like I get why you have these certain attitudes, these certain habits, right. um, because like, it's how you grew up and she grew up very differently than me. Like, right. I mean, it's not nothing wrong, but she grew up very, very comfortable, wealthy, like it's very different. So, you know, us come from polar opposite worlds. It really like, I, it made our relationship a lot stronger, her understanding me more. That's amazing, man. Congrats yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I like. I'm so glad we don't have cameras. I'm like tearing up a little. <laughs> yeah. I was like, because I've seen, I've seen you do that, like <laughs> pay for whole tables. I was like, dang, I wish I was out there at that yeah. time. But now it's like, dude, I get it. Like it's always awkward for like that one person, but to hear like this is the reasoning why you do yeah. that, like, because I, I was that one. Per- I was always yeah. the one without money, you know, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's crazy, and I think I agree with uh, your wife now too <laughs> because. A lot of the the way you act and carry yourself and the way you treat people, I had no idea about the story, by the way, like the the story you shared with us. And it it just makes sense. And it's, I guess that's where you get the selfless attitude, the selfless mentality you have where you care about others first more than you care about yourself. And so that is another reason why I wanted to bring you on. I know I told you this after your graduation. (laughs) I was like, bro, we need to get you on this podcast your story is the 20 factor and I feel like you have so much to share. And now that you're yeah. ready, we just want to get you on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so, man. yeah, that's what happened. And, you know, to keep the, the story going, you know, let's kind of go fast forward to, to college. Right. And that's where all of us met. And I think yeah. a lot of us met through the UCI gym. And at the time we met, you were on the UCI powerlifting team and yeah. it seemed like you were pretty heavily involved and pretty passionate about fitness. Was that kind of like your outlet for, you know, the tough times or outlet to relieve stress or was that just a genuine passion that was built over time? Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, before you yeah. go, if I can add to like, was powerlifting your thing? Cause I can't imagine like coming from a state of homelessness to like now having like all these tools at your fingertips. Like, was that something that you just aspired to do or that's something that someone influenced to you or how did this whole thing begin? Yeah. You know, honestly, no, I, I haven't, I didn't see a gym until I went to college. Really. I went to like these small gyms, but, um, no, I, I danced in high school. So like, I, like, like I, um, break dance. Or yeah. What? Yeah. You know, break I dance. was just a typical Filipino kid. Cause, um, Hell yeah. like one, it was like, I'm, it's fun, right? I'm doing it. Like I loved like dancing was a fun thing. And you know, I was, in independent study and homeless until like eighth grade so uh-huh. you know in high school i was like i want to do everything like i haven't <laughs> been to school ever like i have like there's clubs like there's extracurriculars all this stuff was like foreign to me so i was like i really wanted to get involved oh yeah and you know when i was like poor you can't really do a lot of sports right but you know dancing's free <laughs> like, like, like it's free so that's what i like i that's where i developed like this passion for dancing when i was like a homeless case so i was like I'm going more. I wasn't great, but like you know, I was I was I was okay. So like, that's when I did it. And then when I joined, when I went to high school, I joined like our dance competition team. That's what I did. Like uh, for four years, and it was like a cheaper extracurricular too. So like it didn't matter. Like we had m- more money now, but you know, I could do something that I was involved in and I had experience in. So that's why I started dancing in high school. And then I went to UCI, 
and then like I was okay like I have like this energy now like I really like being like I was very involved in high school I was part of a lot of clubs I was part of um because again I was just trying to make up for lost time right right um and you know things like in high school they were better but we were still we didn't have a lot of money so I couldn't afford Mm -hmm. to do everything I wanted to do and then in college when I started working I was like okay I can do more stuff now and then I went to the gym and I met like Kyle Oda and EJ and I was like can you like teach me how to get toned? Like, I didn't really know what that meant, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's a typical yeah. question. And then they introduced me to powerlifting from there. And then oh. that's when I just like, it was like that passion I had towards something. It, it became powerlifting instead. Yeah. Gotcha. So, background for our listeners Kyle and EJ, right? Yeah. yeah. So, these guys were actual powerlifters and they were doing the sport before. And I guess now that now these like pieces to the puzzle are coming together. Mm-hmm. So, you got into powerlifting, you're here in college, and is that like the main sport you kind of pursued throughout all of UCI? Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much it. Like we started the powerlifting team, so yeah. I started getting more involved in like a leadership role, like organizing stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then that's what I did. And then plus, I worked in college too, so there wasn't a lot of time to do much else. But we were in the gym for like six hours a day. I, God, yeah, that's where we were. You know, we were there till we would get there and hog squat racks yeah. for the whole time. But. The whole time, the gym at this time only had four squat racks. Yeah, and so you guys have this picture too, like in these four squat racks with the fucking powerlifting team there. Sometimes it's like three to four people per one rack, and they would be there for like four hours straight like i'd be like how many sets do you guys have left uh like five each but yeah. everyone like is it's intimidating because people these guys were squatting like up to 405 at some <laughs> point i was like man i'm not unracking that like <laughs> like sometimes i'd walk in and be like that rack's gone yeah. like it's not like day to day yeah and it's crazy because i know this is a case for me but that uci arc I have so much appreciation for it because a lot of the friends I met were through that gym. And yeah. yeah was, the long hours we were there trolling each other, encouraging each other. Yeah. That kind of built the lifelong friendships that we have to this day. Yeah. And yeah. so it's crazy how for all of us, we share that same passion for fitness, whether that be, you know, bodybuilding or powerlifting, CrossFit, you know, whatever it was. And so it's amazing how, you know, simple passion like that can connect people and build a relationship that lasts a lifetime. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, all of my friends at my graduation for school were <laughs> from powerlifting and you would never think so. Like you would <laughs> I'm like how? Like like Kenny Vu who was from powerlifting too was my witness at my wedding. <laughs> like what? he signed the paper and I'm like, "Wow, like who would have thought like all these years later that's how, that's who our friends are going to be." Insane, man. So at UCI, I know we talked about powerlifting, but what, what did you actually study at UCI? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so let me. I started as a bio major. Uh, okay. Not because I had any interest in bio, because I didn't know how to apply for college. So literally, like for when it came to applying for colleges, like again, no one in my family went yet, so I didn't know how it worked. Like I forgot to apply, and then my high school counselor called me like, "Hey, like you didn't apply for college. Like I didn't get your submission." So I literally type the uc essays on the spot into the you now people usually copy and paste it from yeah. word doc no i like raw dogged it onto the, the paper wow. i was like here's my story of oh like, like that's what i talked about on like the actual application itself what the hell <laughs> and i applied to all like the free ucs like i got the, the waiver and everything yeah yeah so then yeah and then i was like oh like i don't know like what major heck how it works so i was like, okay well Irvine sounds good for bio, so I clicked bio. I was like, you know, Berkeley sounds good for history. I clicked history, you know, like what San Diego sounds good for bio. I was like, yeah, like I, I thought you applied to the program that the school is most known for. Oh, I didn't realize common sense that that means that like, the most competitive one. But anyways, sorry, I was a bio major for UCI. So wait, wait, quick side story. <laughs> Running joke across this podcast. What was your SAT score? 
It was, I think, 1700. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you beat me. You beat us. <laughs> I took it. You beat, you beat yeah. us. I took it twice and got the exact same score. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Took it twice and got the exact same score. So that was it. Um, yeah, I didn't know what the ST was either. Like, you know, something's just YOLO. You're just like, when you're you, just <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. Okay, yeah. this is my score. Here we go. UCI, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hot, it's hot. That's how it was for everything. But um, I forgot what the question so, was. No, no, okay. You got into UCI's bio. Yeah. And then what happened? I wanted to be a lawyer. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a kid. One, because like, I was always called, good at arguing. But mm. two, just like, I, law was always the job that like attracted me as a kid. So I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. So like by my second year, I was like, I took chem. I was like, okay, what the hell is that? Like, <laughs> barely survived that. I, this was like the real chem, too. And then it's yeah. like the real, yeah. I was like, barely survived. Like, I hate this. Don't want to do this ever again. <laughs> so I switched into uh, criminology and political science. I was a double major. Gotcha. And that's why I did, took more of like the law classes from there. Yeah. Damn. Gotcha. Dang. So you did all the law classes. Wait, when did you make that switch? Like, freshman year or? or? Sophomore year. Sophomore yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a year destroying my GPA with bio and then <laughs> going into the, the real classes I wanted to do. Dang. Well, what were those classes like? Because I know as a sciences major, we took like all these other classes and it was like, dude, none of this was transferable to any skills, at least for me, speaking for myself, any skills that I do like today or like at all, like there's no practicality for it. So like in terms of law, like how did that work out? You take like writing classes. So uh, in criminal politics, I took like like writing class, which is helpful, just know how to write like a human being. And then um, there's like <laughs> some so. like poli sci, which, nah, like American government, who cares? But then like some like actual law, like French psychology, you like apply law to psychology, or like um, there's like constitutional law classes where they're all like practicing attorneys who are adjuncts and they teach, they try to prepare you for law school. So they're like, you know, they'll give you like a mini, like how to case brief something. Um, how to you know read like a legal case at least oh, okay um yeah. but i mean other than that i tell everyone like law school is just its own monster completely like it you pretty much have to read and write over and over in law school in different ways uh you just have to learn how to do it learn how to do it because it's different than undergrad gotcha. and different than the lsat um but i mean it's it's like helpful background soft skills for how to read and write generally yeah. but <laughs> Nothing from undergrad really helps you for law school, which is good because it's an even playing field when everyone gets there. Gotcha. Okay. Hell yeah. No, that's crazy. And so let's jump into law school now that you mentioned it. And so you went to the Chapman Fowler School of Law, right? Yeah. And um, I know while you were there, a huge milestone that you achieved was getting an internship at the SEC, which is the Securities and Exchange Commission in Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, I remember because you told me this, uh, you went there for, was it a summer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a summer. And as soon as you started, you were this super motivated, super excited, and you were just ready to kickstart this dream internship. But something happened where you were hospitalized for, I think it was nine to 10 days. Yeah. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So just some, some content, like the SEC was like my dream job, right? Like I worked in banking. So like I did investments, I have like my securities licenses. So, you know, going into the legal field of that was like the goal. And mm-hmm. like, like Chapman's a great school. Like, I love Chapman, but they're not the highest ranked. So I was like, well, and, and it was Philadelphia. I was like, like, what are my chances going here? You know? Um, so when I got the internship, like I was first, like I had to like ask professors for help to even get it. But once I got it, I was like, life's gonna be great mm-hmm. and then tiffany was living in philadelphia for school at the time too so she was in grad school there so that's why it was perfect 
literally, I think I was there for, it was my first week on the job. So like that Tuesday, I like started feeling I had the flu and I was like, okay, like I'll be okay. Like, oh, it's just the flu. So I like called, um, like the telehealth insurance. Like, yeah, you just have a flu, like just take medicine and got like progressively worse. Like I was getting like fevers, cold sweats, chills. Actually, it was my second week there. Second week there. So I was getting fevers, cold sweats, chills, like headaches, body aches. And I was like, okay, I'm not feeling too hot now. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, it's just the flu, you know, but uh-huh. like I'll get through it. So it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then Saturday morning, I, I, I was sleeping on the couch. I was sweating through the bed. I was sleeping on the couch. And I was like, I really don't feel good. Like, I don't <sighs> feel good at all. Um, so I went to urgent care. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. And we got to urgent care. And then they're like, your blood pressure is 55 over 33. Like, like you're about good. to die. <laughs> yeah. like, like, that's really, really low. And I was like, during this time, I was at like, my peak fitness. You know, I was yeah. like bodybuilding. I was like, I just lost like 70 pounds. I was like really healthy during this time. It's not like now. I was really healthy during this time. So it was like a shock of what's happening. And then like my fever was like 103.4 wow. for like many days. And then it was just like, and my blood pressure dropped. And then they're like, you have to get to the emergency room. And I was like, I'm not paying for an ambulance to go a mile down the street. Yeah. And they're like giving me IV fluids and everything. They're like, no, no, no. It's not for the convenience. It's because you need to be seen by a doctor right away. And if you go in the emergency room, you have to wait. If you go to the ambulance, you get seen instantly. Mm. So I went into an ambulance for like a mile to the hospital. <laughs> Damn. And then it went downhill from there. Like right when I got into the bed, pretty much like I couldn't move. Like my body hurt. I had muscle wow. aches. I couldn't breathe. I was on oxygen. Like everything hurt. Like even just to cough, it was like painful. And then I ended up being in the ICU for five days. Mm-hmm. And then I was in the uh, hospital for four more days after. So nine days total Holy in the hospital. There's a lot more details on that though, but I didn't really know. Yeah. And what was the, because I know when we met, you said the doctors gave you like this booklet or something that was describing your diagnosis. And I forget, you said it was like 50 pages, right? Yeah. And so what was kind of like the conclusion of what happened? Yeah. So actually it's, it's like a thousand and one pages of like my medical records. And one. Yeah. What? They don't know. So basically, what? so, so I got bit by a tick and a mosquito like the weekend before. Right. But I didn't, it was just like, okay, whatever. Like who cares? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it was just like viral infection. That's all they knew. It was a virus. I had a virus. My body was trying to fight it. It hurt like hell. Like my body was, I was really sick. But they're like, let's test for, like I was getting like blood drawn like six times, like Jeez. every few hours. It was, it was ridiculous, right? Like I was having like so many needles in me just trying to figure out what's wrong. Every test you can think of. Um, and they couldn't, everything would come back negative. It was just like, you're sick. But we can't tell what's causing it, right? What? So I was freaking out, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I want to know like, why yeah. I'm suddenly sick. And then I was like, well, I got bit by a tick. So I told them, like, oh, like, well, this this sounds like Lyme's disease. Like, because like, like, I had, like, a small rash. Uh, I had, like, a moment where I had, like, a small, small heart block where, like, my heart was doing something weird. Holy and then, like, fuck. just, like, the symptoms of, like, you know, high fever, muscle aches, body aches, being septic in the hospital bed, oxygen, like, all of that. I was like, it sounds like Lyme's disease. But it never came back as a positive test. Like, it might not ever. There, wow. But I was like, I need to know something so I mentally right. am not freaking out about existing in the world. Yeah. Thinking it can happen anytime. So that's what we ended up with. Yeah, that's crazy. It's literally like you've overcome all these hardships and then God literally was like, Michael, here's one more test. And it's just like, dude, what the f- like, Yeah. 
that's what sucked, you know, because yeah. I, I was peeking, you know, like, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to like, like, I literally just all my childhood was like, okay, like, this is what I've been working for. I am at my dream internship, which I can hopefully turn into a great job after. Yeah. And then I get sick, like halfway across the country or ha- on the other side of the country for my family and everything. And I'm just like sick and I thought I was going to die. Like I was signing like directive orders, like, do you resuscitate? And like, I legitimately wow. thought I was going to die. Like there was one night where it was like my fever wouldn't drop. And then every time I would be cold, I was freezing and it would hurt my entire body just to move. But I was shivering. So it hurt. And they like took away my blankets. They took away. Um, they put like an ice, like an ice bed underneath me and they put like fans on me and like wow. ice packs. So I was freezing and it would hurt. It was like eight hours of straight pain. And I was like, I'm going to die. I was like, I, uh, no joke. I am really going to die. And I was like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I, I had just tried everything in life to get here and I'm yeah. about to die. So that was, that sucked. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> I'm, During I mean, that time. If you can walk us kind of like through that, like what was your thought process like? Cause I mean, like when you're at that like life or death experience, like, I mean, granted to the listeners and stuff, hopefully no one has to go through that like yeah. anytime soon. But like mm-hmm. when you're there, like what is running through your head? So one, it was like, so Tiffany was there obviously with me. And then there was, we had like some church friends there and everything. So they were taking care of us. But like, I, I didn't tell my mom or I, I barely told my sister when like, I thought I was going to die and I had to like sign orders and stuff. And then Tiffany was like, you have to tell your sister or I'm going to tell her anyways. Mm-hmm. But I didn't tell my mom. Cause I was like, I don't want them to freak out. Like I'm right. freaking out. Imagine if they come here, right. they're going to freak out. Everyone's stressed. Yeah. And it's like, like, like our life just got better. Like I, I'm just in a position to now make things better. Like I am not going to ruin it by, by being sick, you know, like yeah. I don't want them to find out. Yeah. So like I kept it a secret. Uh, I, I didn't tell pretty much any family. No. Um, uh, cause I was like, you know, what do I, what do I do from here? But that's when I really had like, it, it sounds depressing. <laughs> But I felt like I just wasted my life, you know, because I was like when I was in college, and I started working in, in banking. I was like, you know, I'm going to do good. Like, I'm going to do some good stuff in the world. I'm going to start a charity. I'm going to start a foundation. I'm going to help kids like me. Like, I'm not in any way. I didn't I haven't made it yet. But, you know, I, I know enough to help people in some way. But it was always like next paycheck, next week, next year, after I graduate, after I get it promoted. And it was never like do it right and then when I was like in bed dying, I was like, holy shit, like I haven't done anything that I promised I was going to do to my, for myself to help other people. Right. Like I was I was setting up my life well, but, you know, I I haven't done like my impact was nothing. Like yeah. it was just Michael Romero's world, my family, which is good. Like, I don't know, like, like I, I know it's something to be proud of, but like my impact on the world was nothing. Like I, I died the world stayed the same way. Yeah. And then that's why I was like. I got to change this. Like if I get out, it's like, I have to change this. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. where it really kind of went through with it. Shit. Yeah. And to paint you guys a picture too, like Michael, how old are you? 25. He's only 25. He was yeah. about like the finish line was about to be in front of him at this time period. Like that's yeah. insane. Like you're absolutely like, you're so young. Like what yeah. the f- Yeah. So what happened after the nine days? I mean, did you return back to the SEC? Did you have any uh, symptoms afterwards? Uh, Could you kind of explain that? Yeah. yeah. So I went back to work at the SEC. They were great in understanding. I thought I was going to get fired the whole time. I was literally in the hospital bed at them. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sick. And they're like, you need to relax and you need to like, you need to focus on your health. Like, don't, don't worry about work. But like me, I was like, since like, that's all I knew was to work hard. I was like, 
oh my god they're gonna fire me because that's what i always knew as a kid you know like right. you work you work you work but they were great i went back to work but what i didn't talk about times that like i had a fever for so long right so my brain was like fried mm-hmm. like, like i i think i got blessed as a kid where i had some level of intelligence like i, I was able to do well in school right? i was able to get a lot of scholarships because i was without any prep course test course or like even i, I didn't study for the sats i just took it ap classes no prep course and i did well like, I, i'm not gonna yeah. lie. i did well in school like in college i did school because i was working and i still did well because i i had this natural ability to think right like i mm-hmm. i was blessed with it i'm not gonna lie that pretty much went out the window after i got sick right like Fuck. like suddenly like even just to like read like words would flip like like i'll be reading a sentence and no somehow end up somewhere else like what? i don't understand um and then even like my hand my handwriting was really nice i'm not gonna lie. i had some pretty neat handwriting <laughs> beforehand and i couldn't write for my life afterwards wow. Holy um shit. And, you know, like, like for me, for example, right, when I used to read as like a kid or even in high school, like I would start in, to skim. And in law school, I would start in the middle of the page and then read like outwards, like circly, like, like outwards. That's how it's come a page. It was really efficient. I couldn't read in a straight line. Like it was just like math. I couldn't do math. I couldn't do basic numbers. I couldn't write, couldn't think. It was just all of my thought process that I've been relying on my entire life just- were just fried. Um, so I had to work even harder than I was just to be like normal, you know? Jeez. And then, yeah. yeah. That's terrifying, man, because I know you also said half of your body was also numb and weakened and had tingling sensations. And so, I mean, that's really what I want to hone in on because I saw you for the first time in a long time when you got back with uh, our friend Albert. Yeah. I think we, we went to go get sushi. And that was the first time we heard about this. And as you were telling me little bits and pieces, I just couldn't believe it. And I mean, the fact that all this happened to you, I mean, it's terrifying stuff, man. It's like, if it were to happen to me, I don't even know what I would do. You know, like <laughs> losing feeling on your on your on half your body. Like that's scary. You know, as you're reading something, cognitive function gets, you know, impacted and words start jumbling and numbers and math is not what it used to be. And for you to kind of get from there to where you are now and get through that scary moment is incredible. It's incredible. And so that's kind of what I want to hone in on. It's like, man, when you were going through all that and was back on that recovery journey, let's say, what was going through your mind? I mean, I'm sure you were scared too, but was there like a determination where you were like, dude, I need to get myself back to 100%? Yeah, so yeah, for more context of like the physical symptoms, like, so I was in a bed for nine days, right? And like, I was like septic, so like whatever that means. But like my muscle, like I, I couldn't, I was doing physical therapy in the hospital because I couldn't walk properly. And like, because uh, you've been in bed, like your nerves are shot, you were sick, so like you're just like, you're weak. Um, like give it like a month, give it a couple months. Right. Um, but then I started, I was like, I can't like feel the same thing anymore. It's not just like my body's like hurts to do it. Like, I cannot feel my quad. Like, Holy like, like, shit. like, it's like when your foot falls asleep and you get like those needles in your, like the needles oh, in your yeah. foot. Like it was that on the left side of my body. It was my left arm, my left leg, like above my calf and above. That's all it was. And it was like a really intense version of that at first. So right now, two years later it's a mild i still have it today or it's a very mild version of that feeling like it feels tingly so i needed a cane to walk 
Um, but you know, starting out the first week, month after, like it hurt to walk, you know, cause like my body, like my quad just like, I can't like flex my quad is what, even until Holy now. Shit. So it's like, I have like some kind of nerve damage like from it. Right. But like I'm healthy. So it should heal in like a year or two. It's been two years now. And it's like, like I'm better now. I can still like control how I walk, but like I mostly walk with my calf for support. That's why I have the cane. Cause like randomly I'll buckle and I'll just fall. Like I was playing golf and I swung and then I, I put all the way up my left foot and I I, I ate shit on the floor, you know, what or like fuck? stairs. Like I walked downstairs one time and I forgot to put my cane down and I stepped with my left foot and I just fell down the stairs with all my textbooks. And then that's like, so that's what like life was like after. So um, it sucked physically. Right. And yeah. then I think the hard part is like, yeah, you know. Got me wrong. Like now I'm doing. A, I'm a lot better, but I wasn't. Like I, I wasn't the super motivated, great person. Like I was like depressed after. I was like, I just spent my entire life trying to get here, and now it's all about like I'm in law school and I can't think. Like how am I supposed to rank competitively? How am I supposed to do well in my class? How am I supposed to get a good job if I cannot think properly? And not only that, I can't even tell my body what to do. Like imagine like. All of my life, I think I've done okay because I was able to control myself. I was able to have this discipline over my life and then choose what to do. And suddenly now at like my quote unquote peak, I can't control anything. I can't control my mind. I can't control my left side of my body. And it sucked. I was miserable. I was like, what do I, everything's done. Like I'm going to lose everything I've worked hard for. And it was a lot of like me talking to Tiffany, like like I was just like breaking down. I will just cry, and I didn't tell anyone, you know. I, it was that whole my issue with having to share my struggles. Like I didn't want anyone to know I was struggling. So I went back to school, and like obviously I couldn't hide having the cane, but I didn't tell a single person that I couldn't think right. I would just spend double the hours trying to read the same thing. Like wow. I well, I would skim. I would now read in depth for hours and hours. So yeah, I mean it sucked. It was really bad. Like what was going through your head at that time? Like, did you feel like life wasn't fair or anything? Because I mean, when you were powerlifting, what was your max like deadlift and squat? It was 500 for each of those. Yeah. Yeah. So to picture this, like the super healthy guy ripping 500 pounds from the floor to now being barely able to like hold himself up when he's walking. Like, yeah. What did you feel like life was not fair? Like, Cause it's super easy to say that and just give up, but like here you are fighting and doing everything. So like, what was that thought process? Yeah, I, I didn't always fight. I, I did. There, there was times when I was like, "This sucks." Like, like I, I am sad, and I would just cry myself to sleep. I would cry on the phone to Tiffany. I'd be like, "I can't think." I was angry. I was upset. I was like, "This isn't fair." Like, I have worked so hard to get here. I overcame everything in life, and then this happens. I was like, "Why me?" Like, why? And then. You know, that was a good few months. <laughs> that was a good few months of me feeling that way. And then it kind of kicked back in like when I was a kid, right? I was like, it's the hand I'm dealt, you know? It happened with my dad growing up. Like, what am I going to do now? Like, I, I don't want to not live anymore. I've mean, gone around to this point, and I was like, really, like, my mental health was not good. Like, I was like, maybe it's not worth it anymore at this point because I, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be a burden on people if I drop. Because uh, if, I, if I fell out of law school, if I don't get to work right, like, there's, I have no backup plan. You know, I, I have no, like my family's relying on me. There's no backup plan for me. So I was like, but then eventually, you know, with talking with like Tiffany and other people, I was like, I have to push forward like somehow. Like, mm-hmm. I, like it sucks. I had my moment. I had my tantrum about it. I have to decide to either live with it and do better or I have to just 
live like this. And like, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like this anymore. So that's when I started, you know, again, just try, I, I would write standards for my handwriting to wow. get better. I would read passages for hours and hours just so I can practice, train my, my brain. And it took like a year just to get back to whatever my normal was. Um, yeah. And then it's just a moment where I was like, you know, I have to decide. I have to consciously decide right now that I am going to accept what happened and then try to push forward from it. Wow. So, Michael, I have to ask, what is your motivation? You know, like, where do you get your motivation for with life, uh, with this entire journey? Like, what is it that keeps you going your 20 factor? You know, that's a far, I would have thought that's an easy question for me, but like, I didn't know what it was for a while, right? Like, I thought it was family. Like, it, it, it is family. I, th- I think at the end of the day, it always comes back to my family, right? Like, I want my mom and my sisters to be okay. Um, even if I never tell them that directly, like, I, it's them, right? Like, I want them to be well. But, you know, again, it was just survival at first. But now, now my motivation is, it, it's other people. Like, this is gonna sound super cheesy, right? But, like, throughout my life, all the homelessness, the struggle, the sickness, like, people help me in very small ways that they don't understand, mm-hmm. right? Like my high school counselor giving me my, um, remind me to apply for college. Uh, people on YouTube who give free test prep courses for AP classes, the LSAT, because I couldn't afford them, right? Mm-hmm. So I go on there and these people on their own just decide to do YouTube videos and help people. Like friends in college who, or friends in high school who are just like, you know, buy me food. Not because they knew I was poor, just because it's a nice thing to do, right? But for me, if they didn't buy me food that time, like I wasn't gonna eat. They didn't know that though, right? But yeah. it's these small things that good people do for the sake of being good people and it changes my life in all these small incremental ways in the aggregate. And they didn't realize it, right? And once I started realizing how I got to where I was, right? Like I am not here on my own. Once I started realizing how everyone helped me in small ways, I think like, I got motivated to be like them, right? Like, like I don't want to be like Michael Romero. I want to be like all the people who helped me get to where I am by just being a good person. So like my goal in life now is to do just that. But like now on purpose. Like like if all the people who help me in life by like just talking, giving free stuff or just being nice without knowing I was struggling, did it on accident to change my world completely, imagine what we could do if we did it on purpose. So that's my motivation now in life is just to give back to kids like me who don't know that there's a chance, who don't know that, you know, these small things can help people that makes sense damn dude that's amazing don't look at me i'm crying yeah (laughs) no that's amazing (laughs) and and i think you you are doing that right because you started a non-profit organization uh recently uh could you tell us a little bit about that i think i have the name here i don't want to chop it up but it's uh called streetlight scholars yeah so it's not officially a non-profit yet i just started it so it's still under my name but like it's going to be a nonprofit, like legally, I just have to figure out with work what I'm allowed to do or not. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's for school supplies. You know, I, I'm going to collect, this is something that when I was in the hospital, I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. I was like, I'm going to give back to people, but I never did. And then now I pulled the trigger after I graduated. I'm not to start work. I pulled the trigger on it. Um, cause you know, for me, when I was poor, I didn't have a normal backpack. I had like a cheap 99 cent store plastic backpack that would break. I would have to collect bottles and cans for pencils and pens. And, you know, as a kid, I, I mean, as adults now, we know that those don't really matter, right? But right. as a kid, 
that's your entire world is your school life, right? Right. So, you know, when I was in independent study, just to buy a notebook to do papers, pencils, pens, like, I, I had to save up for those, right? And I got to high school, like, a scientific calculator, stuff like that. Like, like we were doing, I, didn't, I couldn't afford that easily, right? I had to really get it in, like, a nice backpack. Like, those, as a kid, that those small things can really like motivate you to do better right it's, it's it's one like for kids who are poor and homeless or orphans they have so much stress going on in life already obviously clearly like at least give them these things right these small it costs 20 bucks for a backpack now and that can change a kid's world so with streetlight scholars that's my plan right i'm gonna collect school supplies every semester and then give it to kids. Give it to give them like I'm. Ta- I'm not talking like cheap ninety nine cent store backpacks. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm talking like real JanSport quality backpacks, real pencils, pens, and especially now in these. I feel like they expect so much from kids, like for the projects. Oh yeah, technology. Like they expect them to have some expensive stuff. Like I want to give that to kids so that like they're not even further limited by their circumstance that like they're already homeless and poor at these women's shelters at least give the kids some sense of like i'm okay with these small tokens and yeah that's the plan i, I launched it and we've raised almost six thousand dollars wow that's amazing in a week wow in, in, in a week hell yeah that's amazing yeah and it's like school we have like boxes of school supplies and it's like with that like it can change so many kids lives and it's like yeah. I, I, I I thought that that started with sharing my story I think it gave me the right platform and credibility and foundation to be like this is my passion so that's why I shared my story it's for streetlight scholars it's so that people understand the name because I studied under a streetlight so streetlight scholars Dude, and then that's it. where it yeah, came amazing. from that's amazing quick yeah. side tangent um, if our listeners would want to donate to this where can they go and how can they do that yeah, I mean, I have um, Streetlight Scholars is an Instagram, just Streetlight Scholars. Uh, I wasn't planning on accepting monetary donations because I don't have everything set up. But so it's just my personal Venmo for now if they're comfortable. But in school supplies, they can either mail it to me, uh, just DM for my, my home address okay. if they want that. Or uh, I, I'm going to do pickups in L.A. and Orange County. I have it all on the flyer on Got Instagram it. or my Instagram. And so but, that yeah. page is at Streetlight Scholars? Yeah. Okay, Instagram, perfect. Yeah. There you guys go, at Streetlight Scholars. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. And so just as a a current life update, Michael actually just recently received his JD at Chapman Fowler School of Law, and he's going to start full time at Deloitte on Monday. On Monday. Yeah. Okay. And so if we could just ask you one final question, where do you see yourself in five years or where do you want to be in five years? I mean, I I would love to still be at Deloitte, right? I I would love to be in, um, in a position in a job that I think is meaning like I mean I it's, I'm doing tax law so not the not the not the most you know social justice warrior program but like I just I, I like it you know I want to be in a job where I'm happy I don't want to chase money and like not to end on a super cliche but I think what I learned in life especially now is that like you know our goal should not be the job GPA salary title position. Um, I, honestly, I don't care anymore. I, I don't care what my name is or my title is in five years. I want to say that I made an impact on the world. So if I died in five years, the world's better than when I left it, right? Like there are kids out there who are going to do even better things than me because I gave them the tools to do so or because they gave, they got an opportunity to do so. So like, you know, 
my, my goal is to have an impact. I hope in five years I have a big enough impact where, you know, there's not more Michael Romero's, but there's more people out there who helped me get here. There's more people out there who are just trying to be good, who are just trying to help. And then in the aggregate, the entire world can eventually change by that. Um, and that's my plan. Damn. Wow, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and bring out full transparency yeah. across what happened. Like, I feel like I just learned so much about you in like yeah. this hour and like, oh, like more than the last like four years, like we hung yeah. out during college. Like it's absolutely insane. Yeah. And thank you so much for, you know, I can say for myself personally, I'm sure Jeremy feels the same way for just being an inspiration, you know, yeah. and for, for sharing that. Like, I know you kept it uh, under the table for a long time for, you know, the reasons that you explained, but, you know, to share that it, it really is inspiring. Like even for me, just having this honest conversation right now, mm-hmm. it just told me a lot about what's important in life. Cause sometimes we get caught up in, in so much, so many things, right? Like we get caught up in, like you said, finding the right job or making this amount of money or having this, having that. And I think it's crucial to just take a step back and have these awesome, genuine and honest conversations to, to keep us grounded. And, um, you know, once again, we do appreciate you, Michael, for coming on, sharing this story with us and really just being open and transparent with everything you were going through, because it's, it's not often where we get an opportunity to, to really hear that rawness and, and that genuineness in a story like that. Yeah, I mean, well, think it's hard. For, even now, it's like I can only talk about it this way and like in front of real friends, you know, like you guys are like brothers to me. So thank you for even the opportunity to share. Like, I've always looked up to both of you because you guys have not taken the traditional path either. You know, you guys have both could have had these very, very predictable, comfortable lives. And you chose to do it the hard way. You chose to do it the the self-motivating, grinding way. And I've always respected that from you guys. And again, you had no idea during college how much that meant to me to see people like you guys. So I appreciate it. And thank you guys for the opportunity. Of course, man. And again, for our listeners, if you want to donate or help out right now, the best thing you can do is hop on Instagram and find at Streetlight Scholars and any support would definitely help Michael and his movement. We'd love to see that keep going too. Yeah. Thank you yeah. guys so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Until next time. Till next time. Peace. Later. And on one final note, just wanted to remind everybody that brand new episodes are released every Monday at 8.20 a.m. And while I still have your attention, if you've been enjoying these episodes, I just want to let you know that you can actually support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. You can go as low as 99 cents for a monthly contribution and all the way up to $9.99. We don't make any money right now, but every little bit helps and we appreciate any and all support. Thank you so much.